I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he just crawled out from under a mountain of babies. It's Andy <laughs> Greenwell! Get me a Cherry Coke Zero oh. and a smile. What's up, man? Happy Martin Luther King Day to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you for coming in early on a federal holiday to work with me. I, I love it. working on Martin Luther King Day. I feel like it's not necessarily appropriate to be recording a pop culture podcast today, but... As we continue this slow train ride into oblivion that is our lives now, I'm happy to be spending one one blessed day. I treasure with these you. moments with you, this Andy. Nice. Today we have a packed pod, though. We you do. Know, we got to get to while, it. While America sleeps, we work. We've got some news out of the TCAs uh, that we wanted to go over. The TV news. I'm excited. We want to give away the belt. Yeah, the TV championship belt. We're going to give it away. Yeah, and then we're also going to talk about Sneaky Pete, Amazon's new series, but kind of like a new old series. Mm. Mm. And then we're also going to talk about the new album from the XX. So let's get started with this TCA news. And by far the most important, I guess the most newsworthy stuff. We should we say, remember, just for people who don't know. For, yeah. For, for, for America. For, for, for people who aren't in the biz. Yeah, I know from here, from our perspective, it's hard to imagine <laughs> yeah, you know, right. anyone who's not up on this. Right. But TCA is the Television Critics Association. Yeah. They meet twice a year out here. They get and- into a hotel conference room and network heads and showrunners, et cetera, get in front of them and say, like, oh, we're so excited about what we got coming. Now, interestingly enough, one of the bigger stories coming out of this TCAs was the absence mm. of several network television heads who were just basically yeah. like, I don't have to talk to you. Yeah, it gave some critics their real, like, all the president's men moment. Yeah. They were like, how dare you, cowards? Some you f- critics. You face us. How far you've come. Look, I'm out, man. I'm, I'm, I'm management. I what made, happens like in two years? I made the move just like, upstairs. You know, criticism. No, let me just say, I was never a member of the TCA. Okay. So anyway, the TCAs were happening. Uh, and by far the biggest news to come out of that, after a week in which it received very many uh, deserved hosannas from the Golden Globes, Hosanna. is that Atlanta will not be uh, airing. Season two of Atlanta will not be airing in 2017. Yeah, this was interesting. Like, so basically, um, John Landgraf, the president of FX, got up there and said, and obviously a lot of the questions were about his two most recent hits, uh, critical and commercial hits. Baskets. Baskets and Taboo, (laughs) uh, which I'm only going to say like that from now on. Um, Atlanta, which just won the Golden Globe, deservedly so, for Best Comedy Series. And American Crime Story, which... uh, also won the Golden Globe for Best Miniseries, and it won all the Emmys. Now, in a shocking break from all of television history, neither show will return this year in 2018. Um, In terms of Atlanta, that's because, obviously, Donald Glover has a lot of other things to do, like star in or co-star in the new Star Wars movie as young Lando Calrissian. And Landgraf was pretty funny about that. He was basically like, I'm not going to tell someone that he can't be in Star Wars. The show will come back when it comes back. And American Crime Story. I'm sure Disney was like, you can't tell us he can't be in Star Wars too. Yeah, but very classy and very on-brain move Bob Iger is like, FX. Uh, what? How should we work this out? Yeah. <laughs> Either we have our- How about multi- we make an Americans ride? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would be one of the slowest rides in amusement park history, but one of the most emotionally rewarding yeah. if you only got on board. Um, and uh, for American Crime Story, it's a little more interesting because- uh, after the successful OJ season, they made the announcement, pretty crazy announcement, I would say, that the second season was not going to be about a tawdry tabloid case, but about Katrina and the hurricane. They're going, and so the, one of the reasons why that's being held up is just because there's only 
apparently so many months of the year that you can really film in I, New Orleans. That's what they said. I feel like there's They're more to They're also it doing another series about the Gianni Versace murder. Yeah, I don't know any, I have no inside uh, dirt on any of this, but my assumption was that at some point someone was like, making letting Ryan Murphy make a show about Katrina might not make a lot of sense. And maybe the plotting or writing wasn't going so well, and they quickly greenlit a show that made more sense to follow OJ. Now the latest is they are going to do Katrina. They're going to shoot it after they shoot the Versace season, but air it first. So we're yeah. going to get two American and that those, And they're going to come 18. out six months apart. It's, it's pretty wild, but it's an interesting move because in talking to, sorry, inside the biz talk, in talking to creators of television shows in 2016 and 2017, the, you know, they've shaken off almost every shackle imaginable in terms of what kind of stories you can tell on TV and yeah. how you can tell it. The one thing that people were still fighting against was do we have to hit the same window every year? Like the last vestige of the network mentality that we did something amazing and then we have to do it again in a compressed amount of time. FX has been has led the way in saying, no, you don't have to. Let me just look at Louis. I.e. Fargo. Yeah. Uh, and Fargo, we know which isn't coming back until the end of this year um, after a very long break. I mean, the last season ended at the end of 15. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's pretty wild and a sign of how far things have shifted and how good Atlanta is that Donald Glover basically got the Louis C.K. Larry David treatment for his second season. On a personal note, this sucks. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, it's I want bad. the show to be at its best, but I want that show back. I would love it if um I sometimes as a as a fan, I kind of feel like shows that don't involve huge set pieces, that don't involve needing snow to be on the ground in, mm. in Belfast or whatever, you know. It would be cool you, if they you, you can call it Benny. It would be that. cool if they pulled like a Minutemen and just were like, we're back. You know, like six six weeks after the like the last, you know, the surprise album drop. Of yeah, shows? I mean, not even like the surprise album drop as much as just like furiously got back at it. But I understand that these things take time to plot out and to to make sure you get it right. And especially when you have something that resonated so much with people like Atlanta did, you're gonna want to find not only a way to like do justice to what you just did, but also to obviously want to push things forward a little bit in terms of themat thematically or creatively also when you're talking about shows like fargo or american crime story they are essentially new shows every year yeah right um and so you can't rely on the actors contracts just rolling over or whatever else you're you're counting on so it, it is a very it, it's the biggest sign of new tv basically that we're gonna see or that we've seen in a minute that this is now the new normal yeah speaking of new normal is uh amc's in the john le Carre business how psyched are you about this? I am pretty psyched. This So AMC is going to be making, after uh, coming off the success of The Night Manager, which won a bunch of Gold Globes for uh, performances from Olivia Coleman, Hugh Laurie, and Tom Hiddleston. And won the coveted Banana republic Award for most <laughs> blousy linen shirts. <laughs> for breathable fabrics. Mm. Um, AMC is making The Spy Who Came In from the Cold, which one, is- One of my uh, favorites. One of, one of uh, LaCarrie's early novels, and uh, it was made into a, a famous film adaption with Richard Burton. Amazing film. This is not my favorite LaCarrie, but only because I rate the other ones so highly. Well, the other ones are much denser. I mean, when you think of a LaCarrie novel, you think of the later stuff when he became much more uh, psychologically and emotionally dense, and and, and uh, the prose was denser, too. Spy, from, Spy Who Came In from the Cold is, it's not hashtag basic, but it's early. Yeah, and I think that one thing that has been interesting about this rash of uh, of ad- adaptions of his stuff is while I enjoy them, I do think that they are not quite even scratching the surface of the psychological depth that is in the novels. So it's 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 a weird, it's kind of bittersweet. Like I'm really excited that, you know, since Tinker Taylor, we've had a bunch of adaptions from Night Manager, um, uh, Most Wanted Man, uh, the our kind of traitor, I think the Ewan McGregor movie that came out last year, 
So I'm excited that these things are getting made, but when you watch them, you're kind of like, this is sort Constant of like... Gardner, too. Yeah, this is sort of batting... Constant Gardner was a while ago, though. That, yeah. And that was excellent. But the, the, the more recent ones... Right, well, there's... Are kind of like at batting practice speed well, to me. The rights to all of his work is now being aggressively shopped by, I think, one of his children. But yes. also, like, they, re, they basically repackaged it and resold it with the goal of strip mining it for parts. Yeah. The interesting thing to say about this is it's it's... From the business perspective and from a consumer perspective, it's a very smart play because... Even if you strip out some of the complexity, these are still, you know, cracking good yarns. These are good stories. These are the types of stories people want to see internationally yeah. on television. But it's almost, um, it strikes me as being almost a little bit anachronistic because this is the era where you could make a psychologically dense adaptation of a John le Carre novel. You have the resources, you have the interest, you have the money for it. So it's almost weirdly like 80s or 90s where people were like, yeah, we'll take this, you know, uh, we'll take this 500-page novel and we'll make a 90-minute thriller out of it. Yeah. It's a little strange. Yeah, and it, and it's like, part of the reason why I like Le novels is that everybody is like pasty, vanilla, sexually repressed, very cerebral spies. And then you're like, you and do, McGregor. Do you want to like, use I statements? In that, or you, <laughs> no. <laughs> you but right. like, I mean, every, and then when you see the films, you're just like, everybody's tan and they're, and they're working it out, you know, like. Yeah, everyone's Tom Hiddleston, <laughs> yeah. and they're sharing their gift with charity workers in the Sudan. Before we move on, obviously his most iconic character, George Smiley. Do you have a pick? I'm putting you on the spot here because I don't. But do you have a pick for who is 2017 Smiley? Well, I mean, Gary Oldman just did it. But right, but if they were doing this flashier TV year, Gary Oldman. How about, do you don't think there's a younger, like someone in the Game of Thrones cast? He's pretty cast. old. Somebody, he, do you have somebody in mind from no. the Game of Thrones cast? I do. The girl who played Little Mormont. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like she would be a nice, you Her know, just interrogating Carla. Just, yeah. <laughs> frankly, yes. That would be amazing. Yeah, okay. I just, I, I don't see any reason to not have Gary Oldman just keep doing smiley things, but I, I, I thought that the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was incredibly stylish and they tried to condense one of the, the most complicated the most books. I've ever read yeah, into was, a 90 minute movie. It was a very entertaining movie. Yeah. It looked very good and Oldman was amazing. I think, I mean, because I, I, I guess what I'm saying is we live in a world where NBC is doing a taken TV show, which is the origin story of the Liam Neeson character. <laughs> it seems inevitable that some network is going to bite on like young Smiley. Uh, yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm surprised the BBC hasn't made it yet. Yeah, so, I mean, in, in essence, Nine out of ten shows BBC has made in the last fifteen years qualify as young, <laughs> as young smiley. smiley. All right, we'll come back to it. We'll okay, pick up your new spy uh, last two bits of news. One is that Gus Fring is coming back to the Breaking Bad universe. He'll be joining uh, Better Call Saul in season three. Yeah. Um, I always feel a little bit. It's Better Call Saul is this show where like they'll do stuff like bring Gus Fring back, and I'll be like, eh. and then I'm like, damn, this was really good. Yeah, Better Call Saul is the. I'm looking forward to it coming back this year, mainly because we can have more time to talk about this. But what a strange case this show is, because it is produced. There are a few shows on television that are as high quality in terms of the production, the performances. Everything about it is just expert. Yeah. It's so easy to forget about and overlook. I mean, obviously, you and I were much higher on the first season. I think the second season really started to spin its wheels with just sort of a, an assumption that. Uh, legal doc review is as interesting as cooking meth, which, spoiler yeah. alert, it's not. Um, and it's also just, if this show wasn't in the Breaking Bad universe, would you watch a show about a guy who is trying to decide between real legal work or taking the easy way out and being a ambulance chief? Moving to Santa Fe or staying in Albuquerque with his brother. Yeah. I mean, it, it is mind-boggling that they're <laughs> able to do this, but at the same time, it's an interesting exercise in like, 
oh, I can watch this purely for the quality of, of everything as a part of it. Now, adding Gus Fring is, you know, kind of pushing the pedal down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. People are excited about that. It's bringing us back to Breaking Bad. But it's it's a little bit bittersweet and just in terms of your excitement because, we, you know, we've seen Breaking Bad. And I, I was thinking about this news um, in relation to uh, last week I saw uh, television's John Hamm uh, co-host a reading for TV The Book with Alan Sepinwall, the great TV critic and wonderful guy. And uh, it was a great evening at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. And uh, one of the questions from the audience at the end was, um, you know, in however many years, when 10 years or whatever, if and when someone, Lionsgate, is just like, okay, let's let's pull the trigger on Don Draper in the 80s. Like, let's do, let's do more Mad Men. Would you do it? And it was the fastest no I'd ever heard. Now, obviously, money is money and opportunity is opportunity. And if Matt Weiner was doing it in the same way that um, Vince Gilligan is doing Better sure. Call Saul, he might say something different. But I kind of appreciated the finality with which he was just like, think, things should have endings. And he said that Weiner believes that as well. Yeah. Now, Better Call Saul is a quote-unquote a beginning, but come on. Yeah, and I think that the one thing that Better Call Saul has going for it, not, I mean, it has lots of things going for it. It's like really racing horn. And it's, it, but it can go past Breaking Bad as well. Which I think has secretly always been the plan. Yeah, and we've seen in the opening scenes of the actual series is like we see... We see Cinnabon. Yeah, we see Cinnabon. So I think that there's still... uh, I'm still interested. I I don't even... I I don't know why I'm so on the fence about Better Call Saul. I love the way you low-key corrected me on on my pronunciation of Cinnabon. Did I? Because you are a New Jersey rest stop (laughs) king. And I... There's nothing more tempting and more disappointing than a Cinnabon. I have been there on those car rides. Yeah. On, on the New Jersey Turnpike when I saw your face lit up like a thousand the suns with The two things excitement. in the world that look and smell so incredible but taste pretty <laughs> yeah. disappointing are Cinnabon yeah. and roasted nuts. Oh, like roasted, like New York, yeah. New York street nuts. Yeah, like when you're walking by and it's just like the, the smell of 1920s. Yes. And you want that little, <laughs> that little hot bag, yeah. that hot bag of nuts and you just want to pop yeah. them in. I know. Did you ever fall prey to those, or did you give up? Yeah, often I would buy like, ooh, cashews, and I'd just be like, who the hell eats cashews? <laughs> like it's zero who degrees just out. Eat cashews in the sleet. Street cashews. Yeah, sleet cashews. The streets are hungry. Uh, last thing, really quickly, Andy, you're excited. Um, Twin Peaks back. Oh my god, guys! Only uh, 18 hours. I can't believe this is real. I feel like much- you just said you like endings are good. I know. So exactly, <laughs> I am a hypocrite like anyone else. In my defense, my adoration and obsession with Twin Peaks is one of the youngest things about me <laughs> at this point. This was my first favorite show, my first total obsession in So you didn't school. have like a favorite show like Hill Street Blues or... Hill Street Blues? Night I was Court. 12. Who are you? I don't know. I, I really like I mean, Night Court. I, yeah, I really liked Family Ties, my dude. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was, <laughs> that was my jam. You know, I really like the you episode when you didn't hold court at the uh, at the dinner table and just like Marky Post has been amazing this season. Can I be real talk? Night Court was a little too late night and racy for me. Really? Night Court was a nine thirty show, if I remember correctly. You were in bed by then. I was out. Oh my god! Out at nine. I had t- I had ten. Right. I had ten, and then I would still creep to the landing, and people a little L.A. Law, you people a little Miami Vice. You could hear Harry Hamlin's voice, and yeah. you'd be like, "Oh, adulthood is dope." Burnson, <laughs> classic. Look, no Twin Peaks was Twin Peaks came out when I was. Like 12, 13, 14. And like that was my, it basically made me obsessed with, with weirdness and filmmaking and serialized storytelling. Logs. It's, it's different to me also because I love logs, my man, because this is, first of all, it ended on one of the most excruciating cliffhangers of all time. Uh-huh. Second, it's been 25 years. But then they, they took is, care of that cliffhanger though, right? No, they never did. And Firewalk with me, they didn't? No, they never addressed it. They never addressed it. 
the the, the Agent Cooper cliffhanger. No, oh, no, no. that one. Yeah, right. Um, so this is just also so bizarre because so much time has passed, and this is David Lynch. This is who was barely he was basically not involved in the second season of Twin Peaks, which I ride for, by the way. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll come back maybe," and then he quit and he came back. And it was supposed to be eight or nine hours, and then how many hours did he make? Eighteen. It's too good, and so they sh- that, that that weird clip of Kyle MacLachlan like. Back as Dale Cooper. I just think people are not ready for this. This is not Don Draper in the 80s. No one has any idea what this is. And my guess is no one will have any idea what this is six hours into it. Right. I feel like Showtime is like, what did we do? I'm sure they're just like, they're psyched. They're just disappointed they can't get nine seasons out of it. I don't know what they are. Because here's the other thing. They made 18 hours of it. Like they can, they can dine out off of like two weeks of this beloved cultural institution is back. But like in week 11, when it's back to being about a giant waving in front of a microphone and like <laughs> in chess moves with like little space dwarves, like they're just going to be like, I guess we just got to let this ride. You know what I mean? They're going to start stacking three episodes a night and then rerunning Homeland around it. I, I, don't, I have no idea how it's going to play out. Let's take a break and then we will come back and talk about the championship belt. Home security services can be such a ripoff. They lock you into these long-term contracts where you're stuck writing huge checks with no way out. Honestly, it's a robbery in and of itself, and it can cost you thousands. But now, there's a smarter way to protect your home with Simply Safe Home Security. Built by a Harvard-educated engineer to make you safer, Simply Safe provides security that you can trust. Now, most alarms, they rely on a phone line, which can be easily cut, but Simply Safe is wireless and portable with a cellular connection built in. You get professional monitoring with police dispatch, so your home is safe around the clock, and there are no annual contracts, so there's no commitment or lock-ins, period. Best of all, Simply Safe 24-7 protection is just 15 bucks a month. That's less than half of what most places charge. So opt for a service that you can rely on and protect your home the smart way with Simply Safe. Get more security, more freedom, and more savings. Visit simplysafe.com slash ringer to get 10% off your system today. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E.com slash ringer. Go check it out. At a time when everybody's talking politics, who better than the irreverent and incisive voice of Bill Maher to cut through the chatter? Bill and his rotating panel of guests are back for more in season 15 of HBO's award-winning series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Following a year of tracking the election, we pick up just as new President Trump takes office. Live, Bill Maher hosts guests made up of authors, thinkers, newsmakers, artists, politicians, firebrands, and provocateurs from both sides of the aisle. Join as they dissect the new and not-so-new people and happenings on Wall Street, Hollywood, around the world, and especially in Washington. Watch Real Time with Bill Maher live Fridays at 10 p.m. only on HBO. Also, every week the conversation continues on Real Time Overtime on YouTube. Okay, we're back. We're going to give out the belt. We haven't done this since Atlanta. That's Atlanta right. just sort of like cradled that that John from, from till the end of 2016. It was hard to think of anything better than that. Yeah. Was there nothing at Christmas that was really popping off for, like that? I think that we considered briefly giving the Why last... am I talking like I'm 22 all of a sudden? I'm like John and popping off. I love it. <laughs> I don't think you're really awake yet. It's very, very <laughs> early here. I, I think that there was some spirited conversation about giving the belt uh, to the last five minutes of the first episode of the OA. Yeah, sure. But the looming threat. They get the Intercontinental title. The looming threat of what happens in episode five that has kept me from continuing to watch the series because I'm so shook means that no one, no like one's that had the belt. I it could just be anything and you would just, you would probably believe me at this point. You <laughs> could just, tell me anything. Like there's a giant waving at a microphone. You could tell me it turns into a lost episode of I Hate My Teenage Daughter and I'd be like, oh, word, really? <laughs> that was an interesting show on Fox. But we want to give it to the young Pope, but... And I'm just going to throw the caveat in. 
that it, it's a very active time in the television mm. landscape. So expect some some handing over soon. Don't get comfortable in the Pope Mobile yeah. Palace, Sorrentino. Sit in your is it vestments? Vestments. Yeah. The the papal grasp on this is is light at the moment. It is very active time, but yo. Pope, though. We should institute in the pod a button we can push, and then Zach comes in and gets and, and, and escorts you out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's like whatever. And whenever one of us doesn't like the take, yeah. just hit the button, and Zach just like give, tells me that like uh, there's an emergency. Let's talk a little bit about the first episode, which finally aired on yes. Sunday. Uh, I I just think it's like a really you know, interesting show. What's the chatter on Soch, my man? I haven't really been checking because last I checked, uh, NATO was falling. So I was like, I'm going to take a, a quick by myself well, meeting. Let's keep talking <laughs> about like, like papal <laughs> fantasias. Yeah. Um, but I just thought that it was such a unique vision and it's such a strong first episode in terms of just setting the table for what it, it sort of stands for as a show. I mean, this show gives so few fucks. It starts with Two dream sequences. Two dream sequences yeah. back to back. The inside of like, the Russian nesting doll. Inside, well, actually, we're all living inside the Russian <laughs> nesting doll now. Thank you for that. Uh, I thought we list people listen to this pod to get away. Uh, and then his speech where he's just like, let's get let's get abortions and get gay married. And the people oh, are yeah. like, oh? And then the dudes are just falling down. <laughs> the other cardinals are fainting. Chris, I think the word I want to use in talking about the young pope is delighted. This show delighted me. That's what I was going to ask you. I was thinking today uh, as I was drinking my my second cup of coffee. Yeah, how much time did you have to think? It's real early. I here. got it pretty early just to do knuckle push-ups. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I I was kind of like, I don't really know what this show is about. Yeah. So it's not in a frustrating way, but it does derail like the ability to talk about it. Because like I think that's part of the reason why there's such a meme industry around it, aside from the fact that it's a pope who is young who smokes. Mm -hmm. But it's also just because like do you talk about things in terms of uh religion? Are there is it is it about power? Is it about greed? Is it just a complete comedy and we're just taking it too seriously? You get very distracted well, by a lot of the imagery that's being floated across. Every shot is so incredibly well composed. That it's difficult sometimes yeah, to read into. Just think like, about that. Just think about those opening, like the shots of him walking through the Holy See and the way people are. I mean, just to drop some theater on you, just think about the blocking. Like yeah. Where he puts these people and what they look like. Yeah. It's so considered. I think that Sorrentino, the filmmaker, has said that he wanted to, to make uh, a movie, make a show about um, power and isolation and loneliness in a certain way. Um, the, the lonely pope. The, that doesn't sell. The young pope <laughs> sells. What a title. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting as a clearly uh, not beating around the bush fan of the first two episodes is in the same way this is true of any new show that you're excited about, it could be anything still. Sure. And one of the exciting things about it is that feeling of like, well, something new is happening both in front of our eyes and in terms of the world of the show and what's it going to be. The opening speech turns is a little bit of a misdirect because I don't think this is a spoiler to say that um, our man Pius XIII is... Uh, kind of old school mm -hmm. when it comes to his actual religious and political beliefs and may not be um he's not a chill pope no that would be a different show i think and so and so the feeling of like excitement turning into kind of looming horror um is particularly it's relevant really right important now. that he's not the chill pope because i can't think of a more boring concept than a chill like a chill <laughs> pope like a pope who already doesn't have a lot of hangs yeah and then is also really chill when he does hang right Oh, totally. Right. So he's just like, he just sits there quietly. <laughs> like, he's 
Pope, what do you want to do? And he's just like, ah, I'm, I'm good. He's Whatever. like just drinking decaf soda. He How's the radio? Tab. Works fine. The radio's great. <laughs> I, I just mean like little things like that radio, that weird little Bluetooth radio. That was a decision made by a person, you know? And I, I feel like we, for all the gifts that we have at television at the moment um, in terms of uh, uh, creative and artistic intent and artistic vision, to see it done in such a surprising way is still bracing and thrilling because we often talk about how Matt Weiner on Mad Men, one of the reasons Mad Men was so good, it wasn't just that it, his writing, it's that he was so crazy exacting and controlling that he would you know, not film a scene if an ashtray was wrong. Sure. Both in terms of being where it was placed on the table also and not a, a chill st- style of ashtray. No, I feel like I read that in John Hamm's Frightened Eyes, that <laughs> Weiner is not a chill pope. But, you know, he remains a devout Catholic. Yeah. So that's the way these things work. Um, in this case, that that exactitude was in the service of a period piece. Mm-hmm. In Mad Men. This is in a whatever the hell it wants to be piece. So you can put uh, Cherry Coke Zero into this world and you're like, okay, th- there is just a lack of... Um, Piety? Yeah. I don't know, in terms of the artistic vision that is thrilling. It's bracing because the show itself uh, is very, uh, like, s- sort of fawns over and and savors all the ritual of the Catholic Church, but doesn't actually go too deeply inside of uh, what sort of the psychology or the inner journey that people must have when they're engaged in something at that level, when they're engaged in a relationship with God at that level. Mm-hmm. And it was actually kind of interesting to juxtapose that I watched Silence this weekend. Wow, that you, you had a fun weekend. Well, I, it, it was actually quite useful because it's the, basically the inverse. It's incredibly serious about its subject matter, yeah. and it's incredibly uh, interested in not necessarily all the, the ritual around uh, the, the Catholic Church, but actually what the relationship a a man can have to Jesus and God is. And, you know, they're completely different pieces of art, but it's, it's interesting if you guys, if, if you're, if you're so interested to check out a three hour movie about apostatizing in in Japan. Wait, quick question. Is there missionary torture? Because that's, that's what I like. Yeah. There is a lot of missionary torture. (laughs) Dope. There's a lot. Does, does, does Andrew Garf get tortured? Because Emma Stone would be. In a way. Yeah. Oh, in a way. Yeah. Can, can, can I, I, I don't I don't mean to jump on your explanation of silence here, but but spoiler alert, you you and I did socialize briefly this weekend yes. and you, you gave me a preview of your silence takes. <laughs> Can you just describe because my assumption of this movie is that Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver are just just broing it up the whole movie. No, see, the, so the movie starts and I, I was actually a little bit cynical about it when it first started because, yeah. you know, I think I feel like in 2017, we, we've gotten to a place where there's really not a lot of excuse for for bad accent work. Mm. I mean, that doesn't stop anybody. <laughs> it's certainly not on this podcast. But the first minute when uh, Garfield and Driver are like, mm. we're going to do m- sort of English, but with American, like we're going to do our own accents, but then just put like a, a sort of, I can't believe it's not butter layer of Portuguese on top yes. of this. Yes. And then, you know, they're just like, like I can't, I can't even do it. But it's just like it's just such a ghost, a bracing thing when you see it. You're like, wait, like, what? Like every so often, it sounds like they're trying to speak Spanish with a sinus infection. Yes, yeah, basically. Sorry, sorry to all my Brasileños in the <laughs> yeah. audience. They like watched one Porto game on on television. <laughs> and we're like, oh, that's my pronunciation guy. But and then you keep going and going, and it, as it goes on, you just there's something about the approach. It's not like any Scorsese movie in recent history where it's like very still very 
concentrated on one subject. And even though the plot in the first two thirds of it is pretty much like he goes to this village and then he leaves and he goes to another village and then he leaves. Dope. It's just that as it goes on and on and as it becomes clear what this movie is really about, you wind up engaging with the thematic nature of the film rather than anything else around it. And I think that that's actually a product of the lack of style, so to speak. Whereas Young Pope is all style. And I think actually probably... Hmm, I don't know about that. Kind of maybe a little absent. Not an absent of substance, but I think it's substances, the nature of, of like what you're saying, the lonely loneliness of power. Can I ask you a quick silence question? Yeah, sure. How is the scene when Liam Neeson takes too many quaaludes? <laughs> is it as good as I've heard? <laughs> when, he, when Liam Neeson gets in a Ferrari in 1633 Japan, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. I would love yeah, that. Yeah, second it, half of Layla's playing. Is that what happens in episode five of the OA? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just... Just, just to wrap up on this, we're, we're going to revisit Young Pope after people have watched a few more episodes. Um, I hope my ardor remains as true. Yeah. Um, I really just think it, you know, we, we talked about Homeland's return, Homeland return. We already it returned last night. We're, we're happy it's back. It's fun. But Young Pope was just, it is a, it is a bracing uh, slap in the face, breath of fresh air to television, at least in the early going. I mean, I actually thought it was like six or eight episodes. It's 10. That, that might be a extra long hang. I'm yeah. not sure how that's going to go, but uh, I'm, I'm down for it's it. It's not the chillest of hangs. It's just, it's truly exciting. And just uh, one more inside the biz note. Yeah. Uh, before working on the upcoming FX series Legion, I don't know if you've heard about this. Uh-huh. Uh, Noah Hawley's homework for me and the other writers was to watch Paolo Sorrentino's The Great Beauty as a reference point. So it's interesting to see Sorrentino on TV after having already, like the, the idea of trying to bring that vision to TV was already, even if it would be possible, was something... I think, I, I think that the, the, my, my biggest takeaway is that as more and more filmmakers make a move to television, mm-hmm. they're, especially filmmakers with a distinctive vision as distinctive uh, storytelling techniques as Sorrentino, and we saw this with um, Soderbergh when he came with mm-hmm. Nick, that actually, the Nick feels very traditional in comparison to, to this. Like, he was doing things with um, scene blocking where, you know, the camera would go off into another part of the room mm-hmm. while two people were talking. And normally mm-hmm. you just have those two people in a master or in one and two. But now you have uh, with Sorrentino, somebody who is going to spend the first 15 minutes of the pilot episode of mm-hmm. his show in dream sequences within dream sequences. And they are going to do entire setups that are just obviously based around wanting to imbue a feel yeah. visually. Well, also, Sorrentino is, is a, not that Soderbergh's not one of our greatest filmmakers, but Sorrentino is a writer as well as a director, and this is entirely his vision. And the, one of the things that's most interesting, and I think most effective about The Nick, is that Soderbergh took what could have been a fairly straightforward yes. medical procedural and then just did donuts on the front lawn of it. The equivalent would be Paolo Sorrentino directing an episode of The Good Wife. Right. And, you know, working within something that we are familiar Which with. Which I would love to see. Oh, my God. Can you imagine yeah. the scene when Christine Baranski plays soccer with the other <laughs> other, other partners? Um, speaking of sort of taking material and, 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 and shifting it slightly in hmm. terms of the way we interpret it, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about this Amazon show, Sneaky Pete, which just started on Friday, I think. Yeah. But that's not quite the story, right? Yes. This is a fascinating case. Right. So Sneaky Pete is an idea. It, it comes from an idea... Brian Cranston had with David Shore, who originally was one of the creators of, of House, right? Yeah, and can I just say, this is this this is part and parcel with my Tom Hardy conversation last week, where sometimes you should tell actors to chill, because I think a pretty decent show has come out of this, but the logline of this is like, Brian Cranston wanted to do a show about con men, and Sneaky Pete was his own childhood nickname. Right. 
cool story, bro. <laughs> there is there is a whole conversation to be have, ha, had about like Brian Hans Cranston's post Breaking Bad heat check. Yeah, but uh, this winds up being so that they they made a pilot for CBS. Yes, this was ordered by CBS, and it was essentially going to be a procedural about a uh, con man. Right, and it stars Giovanni Ribisi, and this was sort of you can almost look at it as the sister show to Battle Creek, which was the Vince Gilligan yes. David Shore show. That also was on CBS. And that was what one that a lot of people were like, is CBS going to break the mold? And they're like going to Vince Gilligan. But that turned out to be a script that Vince Gilligan had worked on prior to Breaking Bad. Am I right? Yes. Although he did have, I believe he had intention of continuing to work on it. But yeah. then basically was like, I could do better Call Saul and have more fun. And I don't know if David Shore has like an overall deal at CBS that he had these two shows go. I think Battle Creek is now no longer with yeah, us. Yeah, I hope he got paid for both these things. Yeah. This and didn't so work out great they do an episode of, this was shot for CBS, CBS passed. It goes to Amazon. Uh, Amazon, not only they buy the show, they replace David Shore with Graham Yost, who used to run and w- created Justify. And wrote Speed. And Always Speed. worth noting. Yeah, for, definitely worth noting. And um, the first episode is very much like something you would see on CBS with like one F-bomb, I mm-hmm. think. But it's got a, a caper of the week thing where Giovanni Ribisi plays a recently released uh, con man who has prison. assumed the identity of his prison roommate and is now like pretending to be his prison cellmate. By the way, the prison cellmate is played by Can't Hardly Wait Ethan Embry, I know. Who, who I believe has been doing hard time <laughs> because that was a real jaw dropper. That's what that my man crazy. looks like now. Um, he goes to, I think, is it Long Island or is it? One of the problems with the pilot is, it, is you cannot fucking tell where they are. Because I thought he was upstate. He's like, but he's then like, I'm he going keeps, to Albany. I'm doing a Montreal accent. He keeps dropping into the city like real easy. I'm like, that's like a really hard drive. And and then it's like, he's just getting into the city is tough. He, he, you take the Tappan Z. The GW is always blocked up. And then in the second episode, he's in Connecticut. So let's just say he's he's Amtrak regional. Yeah, right. So he uh, is living with um, this kid, this guy. His cellmate's name is Pete. And he is living with Pete's grandparents. His name is Marius. And his name is, is Marius. We'll get to that. <laughs> which was not Brian Cranston's uh, And he has assumed this guy's identity. He's like, hey, I'm back after 20 years. Which I still think is a, is a little bit of like, just on a very basic level. Yeah. I feel like grandparents would be like, yeah, you don't look like him. Yeah, you are literally a different person. <laughs> yeah. Now they try to like sketch around because he move, he goes in. And even in, when they're in prison together, Embry's got like six inches on Rabizi. I'm just yeah. like, wouldn't like very basic things like that be, be like a red flag? How about the fact that they're that they welcome back their quote unquote thirty year old grandson who is forty two? Yeah, who is fully forty two, <laughs> and Margot Martindale and Peter Garrity are his parents' age. Like, yeah, realist of talk. So anyway, all that aside, this first episode tonally. It really does feel like a CBS show where it's like, and, and I, I don't necessarily, that's a value judgment thing. It's just that it has, the consequences are pretty low. Um, it's very, you can follow it very easily. And it has that same thing that like Scorpion and all these other shows have where Rabizi has an almost like Rain Man ability to like read the room and immediately yeah. start conning people. And it's like almost like Sherlock or whatever. And it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's breathlessly expository. Right. Like, just to get into this absurd situation, you have to go through so many hoops. And then just these little details um, that will take you right on out of it. Yeah. Like, uh, Marin Ireland, who's a really good actress who you may know, may remember from Homeland. Homeland. Yeah. Um, great role, great performance on Homeland. I know Chris remembers her from her time on the Kelsey Grammer show, Boss. Oh, she on that? That was your jam. Yeah. Um, but like when she comes in and she plays, it's inevitably going to be a love interest, but she's the real Pete's cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she when she enters the frame as a single mother of two kids, she's wearing enough makeup to be going to a ball 
And then it, later in the episode, when a gun is pointed at her, she sort of laughs it off as if this right. is a normal occurrence. It, it, which, okay, so it's basically, it's fascinating because the CBS pilot more or less was just put on Amazon last year as part of their pilot program. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have seen this episode already, so I feel comfortable talking about it. It is now the first step, with some reshoots, is now part of this uh, first season. But, yo, we are not fully recommending this show on its own merits, although we've watched about two or three episodes. It's entertaining. It's fine. This isn't one of those chances again. It's to so go, crazy when it's, you see this. It's yeah. go to TV school. Yeah. Last week, we talked about One Day at a Time and how it's really worth checking out, even if you were put off um, initially by the multicam sitcom yeah. live audience conceit. It is a very rare and kind of dope ch- opportunity here to see the same show filtered through a completely different yes. lens. When you switch from episode one to episode two, it is like jumping through a dimensional wormhole. Because all of a sudden, it is now a relatively, again, kind of not, it's not, it's not unconventional, but all of a sudden, you are in a prestige cable drama. I couldn't, I was thinking about, there's, recently there was an interview with Ben Mendelsohn about Rogue One, and he said that he would do, on, on Rogue One, he did tons of different takes because they weren't sure what the tone of the movie was going to be. Yeah. So he would do a big, hammy read, and then he would do like a very gritty uh, under understated read wow. that was like, and you know, just like this idea that basically like anything that there, there was a basic story and then there was the material, but within the material, you could do all these different readings. Now we usually think about that in terms of direction and there is, a, it, it feels differently. It's just a darker show. Michael Dinner, who I think has done a bunch of Homeland episodes actually directed this up, ep- the second episode of Sneaky Pete. Graham Yost wrote it. It features like, Half of the casts of Justified and it, Americans in Americans. it, yeah, and, and it's and, also, oh, and yeah. it's just really interesting because it is not a different show except it's a completely different show. The story is basically the same. The stakes are largely similar, although a little bit more violent, a little well, bit more just, consequential. It's just grimier. Everyone yeah. is pitched darker. Um, everyone looks like the 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 cousin who's a cop, like his faux hawk is now tamed, yeah, because that's preposterous, but right. works on CBS show. Um, and in general, it, it's really interesting to watch, especially the first half of the second episode where uh, Pete, the Giovanni Ribisi Pete, just goes a wandering in one night from New York, from uh, Manhattan to White Plains and back to wherever they live. And in that night, he meets like 20 supporting characters yes. that clearly were not part of the show's original right. conception. They Im- immediately go into like full... They're they're to F plot now. They're yeah, like they're, they're, B plot. there's a whole they're, world of con yeah, people out there. There's flashbacks. There's all this stuff. Yeah, and and also on a regular CBS procedural, there might be some uh, kind of like de- detailed lingo and sort of they they might say like, oh, we have a, like a tough case this week or whatever. And it it might be a little bit uh, knowing. This is like full con speak. Like they they are not even stopping. There's all like all the cards. And all the oh, yeah. all the card playing and all the cons and that they do. They say like you know who's the mark, nice lift. Yeah, all when that the stuff. whale is coming. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which to us because we've watched a lot of con man movies, well, I, we kind I, of know. I've actually been con quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. That's why I know. Look where you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. Um, it's just a fascinating thing to look at the two side by side. You look. We were watching the uh, the first episode, and I, I I couldn't quite get why I would want to keep watching this. And then I was wondering also why Dominic Lombardazzi, who played Herc on The Wire, yeah. has had a long career. Um, on TV and in, and in movies as well, why he is in the pilot in this sort of thankless role. Now, and then afterwards, I, when I learned the full story of it or, or was reminded of it, I was like, oh, because, you know, it's really good money to be a guest star on a network show, mm-hmm. and especially if it's just one episode. And then he comes back in the second episode, and I'm like, oh, 
he's back because it's pretty good to have a recurring role on a prestige uh, show with affiliated with Brian Cranston and Graham Yostin on Amazon. Yeah. So it's the shifting economy of what what is of value to an actor who obviously wants to work. The other thing we should note is I don't know how it was pitched initially. Um, Cranston obviously co-created, co-wrote the pilot uh, as producing the show. Directed an episode this season. I don't know how involved he was planning to be or not. Right. He's in the pilot um, in a very predictable way. Um, and then he's in the second episode. And from what I've read now, he's in every episode. And is basically, he's the heavy, he's the villain of yeah. the season. Uh, he looks great in cufflinks. Um, and he's, he's, I guess he's having fun. I mean, it, it's, it's a very interesting thing. This is not going to break any uh, top 10 lists. It's an entertaining watch. It's a smart play for Amazon. It goes with Goliath in the sense of, it's a little bit better, I think, but in the sense of having 10 hours of something that's entertaining. Yeah. Has stars in it, keeps it moving. Shouts to Michael Dreyer, late of Mr. <laughs> Robot season two. He played Cisco is essentially playing the same part on the this show. Part. I mean, there's so many. And he keeps getting paid. Jacob Pitts, who played Tim on Justified, who was my like my favorite character on Justified. Uh, who's the person? Who's Allison the... Wright, who plays Martha on The Americans. Yeah, right. Uh, rocking a more native accent, although I can't quite tell which accent yeah, she's using. Yeah, is it Welsh? It's it's not American anymore, which is what she <laughs> does on The Americans. Uh, so that's that's a thing for her. It's Mar- a cool Mar- show. Margot Martindale harvesting eggs. I mean, you know, not but if human you, eggs. You, but if you go through, that would be, that would be a good show. If too. you go through some of the first episode, you know, like you can you can pick up what it's about with about halfway through, and then just go to the second episode to check it out. It's it's just like a fascinating thing. Like, and this is a, definitely a lane for Amazon or for some people to to exploit, where it's like, yeah, we're gonna take these addictive. Uh, well-constructed conceits from networks. And then we're going to just put a little bit of the, Scuff. hey, you guys have creative freedom. We're, we're going to scuff it up a little bit, like when you would get like sneakers or a hat before the first day of school and you didn't want it to look like you bought new things for school. So you just, you just, you, you rub a little, did you rub a little dirt in them? Who, whoever does that? I, I, in, in, I've seen that happen in movies. I in, never wore shoes or hats. Because in school it was like you had to have new shit. Oh, <laughs> no wonder I was unpopular. <laughs> Because you were rolling around in I was, dirt. I was rolling around in filth <laughs> yeah. every day. Uh, yeah, it's not unlike what... I mean, USA had a smart play for a while where they were basically like, NBC doesn't want to be NBC anymore? Sure, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah. We'll make these Blue Skies shows. This is and the next Sam generation And was like, what if he barfs up Ritalin? <laughs> and then eats it. <laughs> it's like, now back up the money truck. Yeah. Terrific. Um, okay, Andy, let's wrap up today by talking a little bit about uh, this new XX record. I see you. Is that what it's called? I see you. <laughs> no, I know. That's what they would say to me when I walked into school with <laughs> covered in loamy when soil. You're done the, what was the uh, like the 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 slip and slide through like mud? And yeah. you just like showed up like, at Calc like Hello. It's me. <laughs> I looked like I just got out of a dumpster. It's Isn't my hat worn in? Your old pal. <laughs> this I okay, so here's the thing. XX a trio from the UK. Um Yeah, Jamie XX is from that group. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about this record because before I heard it, I was psyched to put this on our, our talk schedule mm-hmm. because the first single from it on hold, I think is just an amazing song. One yeah. of the best they've ever done. Flips a great hall note sample. Um, and all the, the buzz around this record, their third record was like, they're, 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 they're getting louder. You know, this is their coming out party. They're, they're not going to be this, this sort of, um, they're not exactly twee, but certainly bedroom trip hop, dubstep kind of intimacy they were going to go broader a wider canvas right. have having listened to the record which is a fine record that's essentially like saying they're going to become the twala- the tallest dwarf yeah, right you know this is this is not a club record by any stretch and it does fall prey to something that that I, I i still bugs me which is 
they released the best song on the record as a single. You don't like that? I love it when you get the song where you're like, this is pretty good. They, they release the grower, you know, and then the hits come later because you know you you know the deck is stacked. Right. Uh, it, it is a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting case of a record because Jamie XX, who is the third member of the group and the producer, made one of the best records. Yeah, of, and I think that that solo record, Jamie's in, solo in record color. has, I, I, I feel like that had a huge t- amount to do with the way that I see you sound. Yes. Right. So it, it was like Jamie had experimented with using different vocalists on the on his solo record and a lot he does a lot of really great work sampling vocals uh in his production. And this seems like he was almost playing Romy. You know what I mean? And and I think that she does like that she has some of her best vocal performances yeah, on this. Not only first of all, she, uh she uh her voice is just wonderful. I mean, but she's from a like a, a long she reminds me of Tracy Thorne. Like a yeah, long line of, a of soulful British everything but the girl vibe to this female record. singers, which yeah. is which is a great thing. I got to say, the other dude, Oliver is his name. Mm-hmm. He got swole in the off season. <laughs> he did. That dude was kind of the drag you on like the other lift, records. Bro? <laughs> and like he came in here, he like <laughs> he like switched his shirt size from S to XS, yeah. you know, and he's just like busting out of it. His vocals are good, and I really like the fact that the two of them seem to be co-writing more, so they trade vocals. Yeah, there. Uh, Say something loving is a really good song. The first song, Dangerous, is really good, um, but. It, it is an interesting case where on the Jamie XX record, he made them, both of them sound like, like, uh, um, you know, like Ibiza heroes. Mm-hmm. He, he, tra- he f- hears something in their voices and puts them in the best position to succeed. But all of that is to say, I wonder, I don't know if you would agree with this. I wonder if I am a bad XX fan. Do you remember um, Emily Nussbaum in The New Yorker had this theory of like the bad TV fan because she wants the wrong thing to happen? Sure. Um, People who watch um, what was, was the big example like like watch, watch the Sopranos from mob violence basically, which is like not what David yeah. Chase intended. Right. I feel like I'm a bad XX fan because I think that what the reason why they are popular and and they are crazy popular. They were on SNL uh, last month. People like the quietest moments. That's what they want from this group because I guess the assumption is you can hear Jamie XX records, you can hear that other vibe elsewhere. I think that, that that's the, I I I start to tune out a little bit when you know it's it's a, it's a tender piano ballad with a little bit of a beat about making your father proud no sh- no shots wait so you prefer the crystal guitar part and single voice with atmospherics around it or you like the i like new, it when they go to ibiza the the new like regret era new order yeah sauce. that's what i want i like See, i think that they're I like all the they're Sexton's. all part of a piece like the one thing that i kind of love a lot about British pop music of this kind that kind of comes out of club culture mm-hmm. is the uh, acknowledgement of the um, the going up and the coming down. Okay. And the after hours and, and the late night, you know, sessions of, of like, we've all come back from going out and now we're going to play like chill stuff. And that's kind of how trip hop in a lot of ways was viewed at that time where it was like Portishead and Massive Attack were still extensions of rave culture. It was just that that was like a different mm-hmm. lane of rave culture it's it true. for like the darker drugs and the come down drugs. And so I like the fact that the early XX stuff reminded me of Low. You know what I mean? It was beautiful. Low, the 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 band from Minnesota. Yeah, and it yeah. was like this glacial, crystally clear like guitar parts. And I always really appreciated that, but I never really disassociated it from the club culture it was clearly rooted in. And just knowing like what Jamie listens to, there's a really awesome Spotify playlist. If you go to the XX's page on Spotify and scroll all the way to the bottom. There are a couple of like artist playlists mm-hmm. and they have one of what they were listening to in the studio. Oh, and it's cool. a really instructive 
listen because it's everything from James Blake to Kendrick to I mean there's just like a ton of different stuff and you can see what kind of informed this album a lot yeah and I, I'm glad you mentioned that the idea of like being the, the flip side of the coin to a, a culture that they are part yeah so of I rather than like being like we're going pop yeah I just no I don't want them to go pop so much I, I I realize I'm arguing a very thin patch of land here much like the patch of land uh, now owned by uh, James Keziah Delaney in your favorite television show <laughs> Taboo um Why but you call <laughs> I just want to have I want to put a little spin on it I want I want to like it's good for the brand um the this i think in many ways the most successful song on the record is the song uh a violent noise mm -hmm. in the middle because it's basically exactly what you're describing because uh oliver's vocals are basically like now when i go out every beat in the club is a violent noise mm -hmm. and the, the music drops out and they're they're basically playing both sides of it which i appreciate um i guess that here's the thing this at this point in my life you know the, the sliding down the back hill of of existence here sure. um I guess maybe I'm just impatient because I know they can do this other thing. Uh, I know they can reach these these crazy, um, still 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 a little bit twee, still a little bit um, come down, but they can reach ecstatic highs while coming down. Sure, like like seesaw on the Jamie XX record um, or on hold. And so I I'm, I I selfishly want more of it. Well, it's an on demand economy. Yeah, but I'm becoming the enemy here. I'm becoming the enemy. Like, I, can, will you uh, will you tweet out that playlist? Yeah, I will. I wonder, do you think there, obviously everything but the girl is a important group to to cite when talking about XX. Yeah, and, and I also feel like group that I the, love. The, work, the collected works of Drake and Rihanna are very important. They very, recently covered, uh, what's the View song that's so beautiful? They did Too Good. Yeah, on BBC. It's interesting. I, walk, this is definitely a Walking Wounded vibe by everything but the girl, but also temperamental. Underrated last record. You're the only person in America who has this reference. About temperamental? Well, no, I mean, like, they can, like, easily reach to Todd Terry, oh, everything but the girl. I love everything but the girl, you guys. I can't help it. All right. Uh, I think that the time is, we're approaching the time when we should do a trip-hop show. We should talk about that stuff. <laughs> Are you ready to admit some of this money, we, some of the records we spent money on in the 90s? The the, this, the European-only CD singles put a, quite a dent in my, like, my like late teenage Like $40 wallet. on B-sides by the group Lamb? <laughs> yeah. This is my life. Attica Blues remix. <laughs> yes, Mo okay. Wax forever. Uh, we're done. We're going to go, and we will be back on Thursday for the re-up. Until then, uh, Andy? It's just been a great job, Baranski. A great job. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Everybody's talking politics. He's talking common sense. Bill Maher and his rotating panel of guests are back for more in season 15 of HBO's award-winning series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Join Bill and his guests live as they dissect the new and not-so-new people and happenings on Wall Street, Hollywood, and around the world, especially in Washington. Watch Real Time with Bill Maher live Fridays at 10 p.m. only on HBO. Also, every week, the conversation continues on Real Time Overtime on YouTube.